We're in James chapter 4, continuing our thoughts from this morning. James chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Let's go ahead and read that. Um, I changed the background like I promised you I would. I don't know that I like that one any better either, but we're going with it. Uh, James chapter 4, verse number 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. You adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Aren't you glad about that? He giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I failed to mention some other important guests. We have got the Reno contingent here tonight, too. They're all here for Catherine's baptism. Well, I assume they are. Maybe they heard about my preaching, in, but it's probably not Probably not the case. Probably, probably Catherine's baptism. We're looking forward to that. Welcome, y'all. I'm glad y'all are here as well. One of the devil's most effective lies, and if people will believe it, he uses it to great advantage, and that's the lie that he doesn't exist. The devil's real, and he intends to destroy us. We know that, don't we? Be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may what? Devour. The devil's after us. Um, now, we've heard, we've heard people use this term, rebuke the devil in Jesus' name. Now, that, that sounds great, but the Bible doesn't actually say that. It says to resist him. You see, two, two occasions in which the devil is rebuked. God himself rebukes him in Zechariah 3. And then the archangel Michael rebukes him in Jude 9. I'm neither God nor an archangel. But I do have here instruction in verse number 7 to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And so we talked about having victory this morning over the devil. And we explained that there's three parts to this. First of all, there's principle. We have got to determine to live by principle. We, we, can't just, we can't just approach every scenario with our feelings. God forbid. Our feelings will mislead us, won't they? They change by their nature. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I may feel something about a given topic on one day, like, like Saul, whether or not King Saul was saved. Was he saved? Depends on what day you ask me. I'm not sure. Today I think he was. Tomorrow I may not. My feelings change about things. But if we learn to live on principle, on principle, and we took from this resist the devil. The word resist means to stand against, to oppose on principle. And a lot of times what happens with Christians is we're opposed to what the devil causes to happen in our lives, but are we really opposed to the devil? We're kind of ambivalent towards him until it starts affecting us, you know. And so we've got to be careful about that. But then also, we've got to maintain the right posture. If you think that you're going to see victory over the devil with any other posture than humility, you're wrong. 
Because look at what it says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But right before that, what does it say? Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. Submission is the only right default posture of any Christian. We should constantly be prepared to submit to whatever God has for us in our lives. Okay? And then the third, what we're going to talk about tonight, the process. The process. Now, anybody who's coached knows this. Everybody wants the product, but nobody wants the process. But without the process, you don't get the product, right? You know, people, we used to, <laughs> when, when, I was, when I was a younger parent, we'd, take, we'd go out to eat with Claire, and she would be so well-behaved, and people would actually come up to us in the restaurant and say, I just want you to know how impressed I am with how, how well-behaved your baby is. You just don't see that much anymore. And, of course, we get all pious, well, thank you, the Lord's been good to us, we've worked very hard, and we, you know, and all that kind of thing. And then came Asher. <laughs> I love my son to death, but in five years, nobody yet has come to our table and commented on how well-behaved <laughs> our son is. But the truth is, good kids aren't an accident. And consequently, good parents aren't an accident either. There's a process, isn't it? And that's what we want to talk about tonight. I didn't take out the other one. So let's, we're talking about defeating the devil, defeating the devil. So let's move through principle, posture, but now let's talk about process. Let's pray. Father, would you help us tonight as we look to your word? Would you speak to us in an unusual way, much like you did this morning? You really helped us this morning, and I'm thankful for that. And I pray, Lord, we'd have more tonight. We need it. So Lord, would you help me? Would you move me out of the way and use me for your honor and glory? As best I know, I'm right with you, as right as I can be. But Lord, if there's something in my life that's displeased you, if you'll make it clear to me, I'll make it right. I want you to be able to use me tonight. But more than that, I want you to move me out of the way and bless your word and make much of your son. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen and amen. All right. We're talking about the process. We want to defeat the devil. There's a process. We want the product, but you got to go through the process. Number one. The first thing you've got to do in this process is you've got to identify the fruit which displeases God. Identify the fruit which displeases God. Look at verse number 1. We see the first fruit right there. From whence come wars and fightings among you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to these, these, these Jewish Christians that, uh, that are part of the dispersion, but they're, they're Christians, they're believers. Fightings, contentions. There's contentions with the saints. Come on now. There we go. Contention. Now, I'm glad that we've gotten the victory over all that, haven't we? Are there still contentions within churches today? Oh, my soul, yes. I thank the Lord for the people of God, but you know this to be true. Sometimes people of God treated me far worse than the people of the world have contentions taking place among believers. We tend, to, we tend to think of this in the context of the local church, but can I tell you something? A saint is anybody who's saved. It can be contention within your family. It can be contention within your marriage. 
It can be contention with your coworkers, even in a Christian ministry. It's going to be hard for you to believe if there's times we disagree, even within the ministries of fellowship and granite. And if we're not careful, that can turn into contention. That's a fruit that displeases God. I'll tell you what else is a fruit that displeases God. A failure in our prayer life. John R. used to say every failure is a prayer failure. I don't know if every failure is, but I know a lot of them are. And I've, I've confessed this to you before. For me, the hardest spiritual discipline for me is prayer. I can study the Bible all day long. I can lock myself in my study and have myself a time. But when it comes time to pray, everything in my flesh, everything in the world, and everything the devil's got fights against my time of prayer. I suspect that's because it's the most powerful weapon we have in the Christian arsenal, and the devil hates it. But we dare not fail in our prayer life. Look at verse 2. He says, you fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. So there's two problems here. Let's give John Phillips his credit. He said there's two failures here, a failure to pray personally and a failure to pray properly. Most of us fail to pray at all. But then those of us that are praying like we should, sometimes we don't pray properly. See, a failure in our prayer life. One of the one of the things that we tried to we've tried to really put an emphasis on in our ministry is prayer. We've got these cottage prayer meetings that we're putting together and we've had two rounds of those now and God has blessed and and I believe that as we as we endeavor to pray, we're going to see revival come alongside of that. D.L. Moody rightly said that every great move of God can be traced back to a single kneeling figure. I believe he's right. I'll tell you, I can't speak for other ministries, but I know prayer has pulled this ministry through a whole lot. Through a whole lot. Failures in our prayer life. That's a fruit that displeases God. Number, number three, worldliness. Friendship with the world. Look at verse four. This is a tough verse. James minces no, no words here. The adulterers and adulteresses. I expect I'd rather be called a murderer than adulterer. I don't really want to be called either. But but my soul, if 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 I was unfaithful to Crystal Davis, most of y'all be waiting for me. You wouldn't care for that, would you? How dare you do that to sweet Crystal? And you'd never think as much of me as you once did. It's a terrible, terrible thing. That's how seriously God takes worldliness. That's how seriously he takes worldliness. It says, "Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, does that mean that we don't love the people of the world? No, we've covered that before. God loves the people of the world, and so should we. We're talking about the world's philosophies. We're talking about the world's system. We're talking about the world's approach. We're to be different from that. There can be no coexistence between God and the world, and we have to choose. We have to choose. If, if you were to go into my home, and I had pictures hanging everywhere of different ladies of different varying degrees of notoriety, why, why are all these pictures of these ladies here? Oh, I just like looking at them. just like having them around. I like her in that movie. I like, I like her in that song. I like her over here. 
Does your wife have a problem with that? Well, I'm not really worried about that. I mean, I'm never going to meet any of these ladies. I'm never, you'd have an issue with that, wouldn't you? You should. Well, then why is our, wife, why is our life littered with all kinds of things that point to the world? Well, I'm never going to get involved in that, but you love it. You love it. When you walk into my home, it should be clear that I love the Lord above all else. When you're around the people of God, it should be clear that we love the Lord above all else. Because anything less than that is enmity with God. So we've identified the fruit which displeases God. If we're going to have victory over the devil, we're going to have to knock off the contention. We're going to have to get our prayer lives where it ought to be. And we're going to have to deal with our worldliness. Okay? Now, that's all fine and good. But you know as well as I do, dealing with fruit does not go far enough. Because now what you have to do is you have to identify the root of that which displeases God. The root of that which displeases God. Because if you pick off the fruit, what's it going to do? Ideally grow back, unless you have the trees that I have in my yard. Okay, But if you deal with it at the root... You've dealt with the problem. So what is the root? If we look at contention and, and prayer life issues and friendship with the world, what's the root of what displeases God? Here's the first one. You ready? The lust of the flesh. Look at verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members. What's that talking about? So much your flesh. What's lust? Lust doesn't have to be sexual in nature. Lust is any wrong desire that we have for something that God doesn't want us to have. And our flesh can cultivate a whole lot of lust. Perhaps it's a lust for power. Perhaps it's a lust for notoriety, a lust for money, a lust for influence. There's a whole lot of lust out there that we can heap up in our lives. The lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.17, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. I want to find out what's displeasing God in my life, and I want to get to the root. It starts with the lust of the flesh. Now, this is probably pretty predictable for you. You know what the next root is? The lust of the eyes. Verse 2. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Verse 3. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. We see things around us. We see lifestyles. We see um, stations in life. We see um, possessions. We see all these things, and we desire them. There's nothing inherently wrong with wanting nice things. There's nothing inherently wrong with having nice things. The problem is when those things have you. And do you know what? If we don't deal with the lust of the eyes, do you know what it leads to? It leads to murderous things. If you leave the lust of the eyes alone, it brings about a murderous attitude. 
Andy, what are you talking about? Verse 2 again. You lust and have not. Watch this. You what? You kill. Now, it is possible that there's killings going on among these folks, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. I mean, that, that's some church right there. I've heard of plenty of churches getting crazy in a business meeting, but I haven't heard anybody getting killed in them. Although we Baptists are capable, you know. No, I think he's talking about something more subtle. When you let lust have a foothold in your life, what are you killing? As you have lusted after things around you, what are you killing? There's some Christians that have killed their conscience because of lust. There's some Christians that have killed relationships because of lust. There's some Christians that have killed their testimony because of lust. There's some Christians that have killed their future because of lust. So you let lust get a foothold, it'll run rampant and it'll start killing things in your life. We're talking about the root. Yeah, I've got problems with contention. I've got problems in my prayer life. I've got problems with worldliness. But I've got to get to the root of it, and the root of it is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Anybody want to guess the third one? Pride. Verse number six. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the who? The proud. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. What's the very first on the list? A proud look. What was the first sin ever committed when Lucifer said, I will five times, culminating in I will be like the Most High? Pride. This gives us a stark reminder. God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. You either purpose to resist the devil, or God will purpose to resist you. If I am not actively standing against the devil, then I leave God no choice but to stand against me. Love not the world. Neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Isn't that interesting how James and 1 John work together so beautifully? Why? How is that possible? Because while they have different writers, they have the very same author. And the Holy Spirit works beautifully with himself and all of inspiration. So the first thing I've got to do is identify the fruit which displeases God. And then I've got to go deeper and identify the root which displeases God. And then finally, I'm going to identify the root, other root, that will please God, okay, this is where I'm at. Where do I need to go? If I'm going to get victory over the devil, if I'm going to get victory over the devil, what's my direction need to be now? What's the root? Verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto who? The humble. 
And what does humility yield? Submit yourselves therefore. In light of this humility, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You want victory over the devil, you go through the process. That process yields the right posture, which is submission. And that posture is built on the right principles. So what? The devil's coming after us. Some of you have already anticipated or even been in the middle of that. We can't stop him coming, but we can get ready. And I'm here to tell you that we, none of us in and of ourselves can defeat him. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Live on principle. This book right here. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate there and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. Joshua 1 8. Process. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway. Principle. That's what I'm after. Principle. And then that principle puts us in the right posture. Lord, I'm submitting to you. I'm submitting to you. Whatever you want for me. If it satisfies you, Lord, it satisfies me. But none of this happens if we're not willing to go through the process.